0: Of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Simone Halpin. She is the Executive Director of Naomi's House, which is a uh, ministry of the Moody Church. Simone, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thanks, Zach. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, Can you tell us a little bit about the ministry and share some of the details Uh, maybe of how you started Naomi's house or how, how the ministry got started?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, Naomi's house is a residential program for adult women who have been commercially sexually exploited. So they are survivors of sex trafficking. Uh, Women live in our home for up to 18 months where essentially they are coming to gain resources to heal from their trauma. Uh, they acquire all new life skills, have um, access to education and health care and job placement, all the while learning to heal from trauma. Um, every woman that we serve at Naomi's House suffers from PTSD. So we're spending a lot of time with them learning to grow emotionally as well um, so that they can eventually, after finishing our program, reintegrate back into the community um, and live a healthy life. So that's, that's an overview of, you know, of the program. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we started, um, we've been operating for almost four years. And, um, as you mentioned, Naomi's house is a ministry of the Moody church. And I was on staff there as the director of women's care, um, for a few years when I was doing outreach. Um, with women from Moody, we would do um, different types of outreach throughout the city of Chicago. I mean, it's a big city, lots of needs. Um, and we were just really bent toward what we can do to help women who were being marginalized and kind of forgotten on the streets of Chicago. And over time, that led me to um, work with another organization, another ministry, who does street outreach every single Friday night. They still, to this day, do street outreach the women who are caught in prostitution. And I started um, doing these outreaches with this group, but they're called the Rose of Sharon. I always like to mention them when I tell the story of Naomi's house, because the the women who ran Rose of Sharon were a huge impact and influence in my life. And I started to meet women who were caught in prostitution and I would um, hold their hands and be able to look them in the eyes and have, brief conversations with them at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a- after doing this several times, you start to think, how are women getting into this and why aren't they leaving when they weren't chained to, you know, these hidden underground beds and closets and things that sometimes we think about when we think of human trafficking? Um And then what what will life look like for them if they were ever lucky enough to get out? And I just started asking those questions and started thinking about it. Um, A lot of times you hear people say, I couldn't unsee or unknow what I had learned from my experiences. Yeah. And so that just, over the course of about four years, it didn't happen overnight. Um, We, as a group of women from the Moody Church, started pursuing what can we do to help women who are caught in prostitution, who are being controlled by a trafficker or a pimp? What can we do? And over the course of four years, that answer continued to be um, women need a place to heal. They need a long-term home to start an entire new life. And so over the course of those four years, Naomi's house has burst. And now we've been running for almost four years. We've so been in it for quite some time. Awesome. Yeah. Now, you
0: mentioned that this is a residential program for adult women.
1: That's right. How
0: does th- there's no children that are that come into the program at all? Like, what is the age? That's I right. Guess, yeah. Uh, hard stop.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. And I love talking about this particular reasoning uh, as to why we started with adult women. Um, first of all, when starting something new, you know, you have to start you have to start somewhere and you have to have kind of focused demographic. So we yeah. knew that, yeah, right. That's just kind of um, a wise way to, to start something new. And so we knew that we wanted to work with adult women primarily because those were the women I, w- I was meeting when we were doing outreach. And um, although I met dozens of teenagers, um, lo- I mean, Zach, you wouldn't believe how young women are girls are on the streets, walking up and down the streets, soliciting buyers for sex. I mean, it's pretty devastating. And this happens. What was so devastating is that this is happening in Chicago. We're not overseas in some, you know, um, under-resourced countries in the red light districts where it would be expected. I mean, these were the same streets that during the day I was driving to school with my kids and, um, going to work at church and you know it's a Mm -hmm. whole nother world it was that was what was such a huge discrepancy for me is how this is happening and so when we felt this calling um to, to pursue residential care um I just really felt this burden for adult women um there were resources that already existed for teenagers and for younger girls um but there was very limited resources for adult women and the longer a woman is in the life So when I refer to someone being in the life that's referencing her time Mm -hmm. as a victim of trafficking, um, the harder it is for her to come out of it, it becomes her culture, it becomes her norm, it becomes her survival. Um, And so that was the focus that we wanted to to turn to is adult women. And um, our sweet spot after serving women now for about four years is between, I'd say 25 to 35, but we have served women as young as 18 and our oldest woman that's been in our program was 52. So, um, yeah, we don't have a hard stop because, um, some programs do, and it maybe they have their own reasons for it, but we don't have a hard stop because we just feel like any woman who is reaching out for help, especially the longer she's been in the life, um is showing signs of desperation, showing signs of readiness. Um she really wants the tools and resources to start a new life and if anyone is, is making that first step towards healing, we want to be the place where she'll receive it. We we don't want to deny someone because of their age.
0: Right. Yeah. That's really cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, as you've built up this this ministry, what what are some mm-hmm. of the things that you've learned running running the nonprofit, what does that kind of look like?
1: Yeah, well, I'm um, maybe a poster child of someone who started something who didn't really know what she was doing. Uh, I don't know if that's, um, I don't feel like that's something to brag about on any level. (laughs) I don't know that I would (laughs) wish that for most people. Um, But it is a little bit of learning to build the plane while we're in the air. And, um, so on one hand, it's been, <laughs> it's been really exciting and it's given God so many opportunities just to show us, um, that he has always been before us as we've pursued this ministry. Um, and it's, it's been an incredible space builder for me personally because, um, you know, when we started this, this mission of opening the home now, I guess eight years ago or so, um, I didn't know the first thing about residential care and i I knew almost just as little about what someone who's been trafficked needs in order to start a new life and so um the first thing i've learned just about this type of ministry and what um you know what we've seen how we've seen lives impacted and lives changed is that this is just the heart of god that he just really really loves um bringing people into relationship with him, bringing restoration mm-hmm. and restoring hearts. And when that's the center of what you're doing, that's the heart of your work, um, then all the other pieces just kind of, they just come together, right? Like you, when you're so motivated to see people's lives change um, because they're so motivated for their lives to change in a positive way, then it's a lot, it, it's not as overwhelming as it might feel. Um, to run a nonprofit and to, um, and to kind of lead an organization with all the pieces that we have for what we do at Naomi's House. So, um, I've, I've, have learned a lot about myself since opening Naomi's House. And one of the things that I've learned is that, um, being able to work with people, donors, supporters, church partners, and talk to them about the work that we do has, is something that I really like. And I didn't know that um, that would be something that I would consider to be such a big part of my job. But as the executive director, I'm, I'm pretty much the sole fundraiser. Yeah. And um, so that means getting in front of people on a regular basis and telling the stories of life change and um, doing my best to inspire people to want to partner with us. Um, and so that's, and making it sound as if it's easy. It's not. <laughs> I right. think you know that in your line of work, helping other organizations do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not easy, but I enjoy it. And so that's been a real blessing um, to me. And um, just like with anything, um, leadership is a really important piece of what we do at Naomi Health. Having a, a leadership team, um, making sure that we're healthy as leaders um, mm-hmm. because we have a staff... Fifteen women, um, and our our work is um, weighty because we are helping mm-hmm. people start a new life. And so, if we if something goes wrong, you know, somebody's life is impacted by that. And so, we carry that weight, um, you know, with a high level of um, expectation. We work really hard to have a to ha- to have a high bar.
0: Yeah, And now, now how do you guys deal with? Um, some of that like second hand trauma that, mm. that you know is so prevalent in this yeah sector of of ministry space
1: you mean like for our for ourselves and our staff yeah for taking for yeah. taking care
0: of yourselves and your staff,
1: yeah. oh, I appreciate that question so much. um, we're very intentional about that um, so we do we have a whole strategy, honestly, a whole handbook on. Um, what we do to care for our staff. and we have a, a handful of really high level volunteers who are considered staff. Um, and it's everything from regular supervision. So our what we call our shift supervisors are women who are on the front lines of day-to-day program operations with our women. So we have a rotating 24 hour staff who is somebody is with the residents of theo Hospital at all times. And that shift will look different depending upon the time of day or what day it is. Um, but those shift supervisors um, are just, inc- first of all, they're the most incredible women I've ever met. They're, they're phenomenal human beings and they all um, have regular supervision with our director of operations where they're sitting down one-on-one and they're just processing some of their hardships. Mm-hmm. They're leaning into, Hey, I saw this in myself. When I had this conversation with this resident, I didn't even know that was in me. I don't know what to do with that. Um, they're very intentional about processing and um, kind of leaning into working hard to to be the best version of themselves while they are mentoring and shepherding the women at Naomi's house. That's probably our one of the the best things that we do in terms of offering self care, and then we do um, quarterly all-day off-site where we're bringing in experts in trauma, we're bringing experts in addiction, um, uh, diversity inclusion. I mean we do all different types of topics and we bring in people from the outside who train us and equip us and give us tools that we take back to the program. So I think those tools that we offer our staff uh, make them feel empowered and equipped and um as ready as they can feel to um to do the work that they do i mean there's a level of showing up to work and knowing like the holy spirit is going to have to take over there's no way i'm going to be able to meet the needs of all these women um in our program but they do the best they can to um to, to bring professional tools to the job as well
0: that's good. Does that, does yeah, that answer
1: there's, your question?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's only so much that you can do to prepare, right? And at the end of the yeah. day, this is these are traumatic things, and That's right. you know we're gonna have. To, there has to yeah. be a level of of trust in the Lord that He's gonna <laughs> provide our way through right. this, right? For sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, what are some of the the basic human trafficking facts we need to know as as we you know get into this discussion?
1: Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I would tell people listening is that um, human trafficking, specifically um, commercial sexual trafficking, happens everywhere. It is a part of every community, um, every city, every town, every suburb. Um, there isn't a place, I don't think, in our country that is exempt from a version of exploitation happening to both young women and girls and men and boys. I mean, it, it is a it's a universal issue. Um, and I think what's been so um, kind of mind blowing to me personally, um, not as much as it was in the beginning, and now my role more or less is to educate people um, on this subject matter is that um, it's everywhere and, it's, and it impacts every community. And so um, just knowing that and, and being a little bit more um, aware is, is going to be helpful to, to bringing an end to the issue. And so I, I like people, for people to know that it's um, primarily online, even though I learned about trafficking firsthand through women who were walking the streets selling their bodies. Um, that just makes up a small minority of women who are being trafficked. Majority of it is happening online because you mm. can control all, you know, all different aspects of it through making appointments with people. You can do transactions, financial transactions online. You can post pictures. Um, all of it can be done digitally. Right. And so that's a really hard thing to, to, to capture and to um, track down. And it also probably means our numbers and best estimations of how many people are being exploited annually are probably pretty low. It's hard to really get, a, get your arms around that. So I would first and foremost say that it's everywhere and nobody's community is exempt from it. Um, I think it's important for people to know that traffickers prey upon young girls and best research says that um, trafficking, um, uh, or I'm sorry, a young girl is lured in to forced prostitution and human trafficking at the age of 13. So that's just like fit right like that's so young and um a lot of times women who are lured in around that age are coming from a vulnerable situation um a lot of women who are trafficked were abused in some in some way shape or form as a child i know at naomi's house across the board every woman we've served suffered some sort of childhood abuse um Uh. And so traffickers prey upon that. They see their vulnerabilities and that is what they focus in on. And most women are lured into trafficking through a romantic, coercive relationship. So that just means a trafficker is pretending to um, have a romantic relationship with a young woman and makes her feel special and seen and he'll buy her things and take her places and kind of feed into some areas of her life that maybe have been neglected or abused. And that's where he preys upon her. And then once he sort of has that grooming taken care of, so it's called when a trafficker is grooming a young woman and she starts to fall for him romantically, feels like she loves him. That's when he'll start to force her to sell her body. If you love me, you will do this for me. Mm. And um, it's a, obviously a tactic of a, manipulator and um an abuser um but a lot of times from our experience that's the majority of ways that women get lured into human trafficking in the first place
0: so so what are some of the ways you've seen some of these survivors overcome trauma like that
1: well it doesn't happen overnight i think that's probably um the first thing I would I would say um, it's a very slow process um, for someone to address their trauma and to overcome it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just a quick trauma one on one is that it when someone's gone through a traumatic experience, um, the brain doesn't have the the capability. So it's not designed to store traumatic memories, and so. When you know you have a pleasant memory, our brains are able to file those away into a filing cabinet and bring them out when wanted. Well, a traumatic memory, for whatever reason, the brain's not designed to store. And so those memories kind of live in the front of our brains. And um, a lot of times a person, this is kind of describing PTSD, they feel like they're experiencing that traumatic experience over and over and over. And so their body is responding as if it is happening over and over. So you'll see a lot of times with people who are suffering from PTSD that they just live in this fight or flight stage. They're constantly assessing their environment. Am I in, is there any threat? Is there any danger? I mean, you can see it through, you know, all types of brain scans and MRIs where their adrenaline is heightened, their heart rate is fast, they're breathing heavy. I mean, all of those physical signs. And because a woman who's been trafficked typically has been violated, sexually violated, experienced violent activity for so long, that this heightened state of awareness becomes their normal. And so it physically breaks down their body over time. So when women come to Naomi's house, they have not just the emotional issues that they're dealing with because of their trauma, but their bodies have physically started to break down. So they have difficult digesting food and they have an internal issue with their gut. They, their hair could be falling out. They could have skin issues, um, all kinds of things. There's all types of physical uh, ramifications that trauma does to the body. And so in order for someone to heal and to overcome all of those things need to be addressed. It has to be a comprehensive approach to healing, which is one of the things that we, you know, we kind of stand on as an organization when we talk about our approach to care for women is that it's comprehensive. So we're going to address their body issues. We're going to address their, meaning their physical body issues. We're going to address their emotional issues. Um, We're going to work on some of their tangible needs, so that they can start to feel some wins right off the bat. Women who come to Miami's house typically don't have a valid ID and they typically don't have valid health care. And so those are two things that we can work on with them within the first month. And within 30 days, they start to feel like I had a, I set out a goal to get an ID and to get on health insurance and I accomplished both of those within 30 days and they start to feel really good about themselves and they, they, um, create more goals because they're starting to see progress in their lives um so all of these systems have to work together the emotional the practical and the physical they all have to be working together in order for someone to heal from their trauma um mm. and then just to say for any professional um, therapist or um Anyone out there in that world? I, I would I want them to hear me say we only work with trauma informed therapists. So we um, so all of our women do one on one therapy from the very beginning, sometimes one to two times a week, and then we, they also do a lot of group therapy. But the therapists we work with are all specialized in trauma. Um, which means that the therapist is being very meticulous about how to enter into those traumatic memories. Because if you're not trauma-informed and you're trying to help someone heal from their trauma, you could actually re-traumatize the person. It's a very dangerous, you know, um, tactic. Right. So we work, so we're very careful and very intentional about working only with trauma-informed therapists um, who know how to take a woman through her journey ultimately to bring up to bring upon healing
0: hmm. now you, yeah. you mentioned that you, the program uh the women will live at your residence for up to 18 months do you
1: mm-hmm. does
0: that end up being enough time like it that yeah. process of getting through mm-hmm. s- situations like that is mm-hmm.
1: like a lifetime like yeah. yeah yeah so yeah so that's that's what we would say is you know we um well, first of all, we've learned that women are more successful at, in our program at Naomi's House when they've already done some work. If they've, if they've done some sort of, um, for example, if a lot of women come to Naomi's House struggle with substance abuse issues, and so mm-hmm. if they've done 30, 60, 90 days of, um, of rehab to address their substance abuse issues, they're going to do so much better at Naomi's House, um, and it, it goes... To, it's true of any other work that they've done on themselves. Um, So um, what we would like to say is we'll build on anything that they've already started. And because we have no age limit to the women that we serve, um, we'll see a lot of women who have tried and tried and tried to get help or make different life choices and they just haven't been successful, but we'll take all of that cumulative work and we'll use it and we'll help her build on stuff that she's already done. Um, So by the time someone spends 18 months with us, I'd like to say she's probably had years worth of work that she's worked on. Um, And Naomi's house has been, has had the opportunity to kind of bring her to the next level. Um, And so, and that's part of our intake process. So we'll you know, we'll take all that into consideration before we would accept someone into our program. We want to know how serious she is about mm. making life changes. We want to know what work, quote unquote, what work she's already done on herself. Um, you know, if she's still dabbling with a relationship with her trafficker, then she's not ready for our program. Um, if she's still using then she's not ready for our program. And so we take all of that into consideration. So then after 18 months with us, she's come a long way because she has, she showed signs of readiness before she even started with us. Um, but you're so dead on when you say it's 18 months enough. That's um, not. And so we have, since we opened Naomi's house, we launched just this past January a transitional living program. We call it NH4. And so it's for women who have successfully finished our residential program, who want to continue to build on their foundation, but also want to live independently. And so that's what NH4 does, is it provides um, resources to help with subsidized living um, and we provide case management and we'll continue to pay for therapy through our transitional living. But they're also bringing so much to the table by this point. They're working full time or they're in school, or a combination of the two. They've taken um, ownership of all of their own bills. They have a car, mm. um, all of that. And so that transitional living piece is something, like I said, we just launched. Um, the goal would be for someone to be in that for at least a year. And then we'll assess after that year, is this working? Um, should we continue it? Is she ready to be completely financially independent? Um, and so that's kind of where we are with that. So The hope then, Zach, honestly, is that women take the tools that they gain at Naomi's house and then at NH4, and they eventually get to a point where they are independent and they can use the tools to live a healthy life. Um, That's the ultimate Um, goal.
0: Now, you mentioned, I can't remember the term that you use, but basically a a holistic approach to this process. Um, Obviously, There's the physical need and then there's the spiritual need, right? How do you Mm -hmm. guys work discipleship into your work? Mm -hmm. What does that kind of look like for Naomi's house?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love this question. Well, um, as I mentioned, we we do some intake processing um, before someone comes to Naomi's house. We do a lot of interviewing. We allow them to interview us. We want them to know who we are and what our culture is. Um, And so part of that process is um, talking to women about how faith is is woven into everything we do, that we are a faith-based organization, and that at the end of the day, we believe that full healing comes through a relationship with Jesus um, and that we can provide all kinds of tangible and physical and emotional resources, um, but it's their acceptance of the gospel that we believe is going to um, make the the. Most eternal impact on them. Right, um, if, right. if they were, yeah, if they were to to walk in that faith. So, um, we're super transparent from day one. Um, most of our referrals come to us knowing that we're a faith-based organization. Um, so it's never really been this tension. I mean, we, we do see it every now and then where someone is a little bit resistant to, um, the gospel and they're not sure how they feel about God. Um, uh-huh. but what I always like to say is, um, if you, t- if you, if you can picture on one hand, you're offering somebody, um, tangible resources, a safe place to live, access to education and healthcare and jobs and therapy. And on the other hand, you're offering someone a pathway to know God. We will guide you and show you and be an example to you. But at the end of the day, it's your choice, right? And if you take those two hands and you layer them together, it, is, it becomes this really powerful, beautiful relationship between um, what we do and the woman that we're working with. And it really empowers her to make, to make her own choices. And at the end of the day, she's been told what to do, where to go, who to have sex with, who she owes money to, where to sleep, all of that for so long. And so for her to come into a program like Naomi's house and we say, you know, these are now your choices. You are empowered. You know yourself better than anyone else knows. You're your best advocate. Um, we see that approach. And that includes you get to choose whether or not you want to pursue God or not, because we believe he's pursuing you, but you get to mm-hmm. choose whether or not you want to believe that or accept that or lean into that. And you can take your time with that. Um, we feel like that is the most empowering way for someone um, to know God and to experience his love for her um, through Christ. So there's no hidden agenda. We're very transparent about who we are and what we do. Um, and then with that, so that's, maybe, that's maybe more of our philosophy. But then yeah. on a very tangible uh, basis, we do more in devotional um, Every day, usually led by our staff. But actually, I just heard this morning that one of our women in the house, who's a resident right now, has been like taking over and she wants to leave devotionals. Oh, <laughs> uh, so just, cool. Uh, so cool. Yeah. Um, and then we go to church on Sundays and uh, women don't have to necessarily sit through a church service. Actually, the woman I was just telling you about who wanted to take over devotionals, when she came to us, she would go into like, some, like a physical anxiety attack when she stepped foot in church because so much of yeah she had a lot of abuse from church leaders Uh. and she's in her mid 30s and this all happened in childhood and if you think of it back like a wound that was never properly addressed
0: Mm.
1: it never healed correctly and so she's still suffering from this deep deep wound and she would just have this physical panic attack when she would sit set foot in church and so we would celebrate each week if she could make it 10 minutes and then 15 minutes And actually now that we're in COVID um, and all of our church has gone online, she'll sit through an entire church service because she's not physically in church. Yeah. So I'm like, this is, if COVID happened just for this one person salvation, this is, (laughs) this is awesome Um, because she's now sitting in front of a computer screen, but she can sit through the whole service because there was something triggering about the building itself. Yeah. And She's just come such a long way spiritually that now she's the one joking about wanting to to lead devotions because she's got a word. She's got something she wants to share. Um, And it's so cool. So, Naomi's house has taught me a ton about what discipleship looks like and just how it's not a formula. You know, it's not like a magic wand that it has to be organic. It has to be a work of the spirit. And as a staff, we have to be committed to. It not being those things. We have to be committed to letting the spirit work through us. We're going to see setbacks and we're going to see, um, progress. We're going to have good days and we're going to have bad days. And we just have to, um, lean into that ourselves as the staff, knowing that we can't control this piece. We can be faithful to the word and and faithful to what God's called us to do. But at the end of the day, it's a work of the spirit to draw someone, um, Mm -hmm. to him
0: yeah so good yeah. contextualized yeah. to the work and the cause and the the like the industry that you guys are working in mm-hmm. yeah. um to transition a little bit but just mm-hmm. kind of staying on topic with with mm-hmm. regards to the church what role do you think the church plays in one your ministry so what is the right. role of the moody church mm-hmm. playing in your ministry and then big picture what does the role of the church look like like big C church look like in this mm-hmm. global fight against trafficking? Like mm-hmm. how does, mm-hmm. how does Moody engage with your organization mm-hmm. and partner mm-hmm. with your parachurch ministry? And then what do you see the church's role is mm-hmm. as we continue to fight this yeah. injustice on a, on a global sure. scale?
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good questions. I've many questions. Thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I have many, many thoughts. How much time do we have? No. Um, well, first, your Moody Church question. So I think I mentioned earlier, I was on staff at the Moody Church, um, mm-hmm. starting in 2010, myself and the director of women's ministry, who's still the director of women's ministry at Moody Church, trained Mary Lohman. The two of us approached the elders of Moody and said, this is what we feel like God's calling us to do, is to open this home so that women who are coming out of exploitation have a place to start. And I think it's still shocking to me that they said yes to allowing us to pursue this ministry. Not because they, they have incredible hearts, the elders of the Moody Church, and they want nothing more than to see people come to, to a faith in Christ and have life change. But I, I didn't know that they would be so supportive of such a big undertaking because residential mm-hmm. care is a lot of work it's 24 hour care we have not had a single break since we opened um almost four years ago and i mean people would even ask me recently like what are you guys doing about covid like nothing nothing changes we just (laughs) have to wear masks (laughs) i mean this is is their house this is where they live if we were to close this house down we have eight women who are now homeless like that's not an option so that undertaking, um, I was a little surprised that they said yes to. Um, I found out later that they weren't sure that it would actually happen. And so <laughs> I always like to add that part, that they weren't sure <laughs> that you would actually get this off the ground. But the Lord did it. All credit to him for sure. Um, and so to this day, Moody still continues to provide the oversight to us. Um, they are be, because of Moody, because we're a ministry of the Moody Church, we are a 501c3 under their umbrella. So legally, that means the board of directors for Naomi's house is the elders of Moody Church. Um, but they were the first to say, we will not be able to provide oversight um, on your operations and your day-to-day basis uh, of this program, because it's not in their, their lane per se. So we have a separate right. advisory board. Yes. So people who who are familiar with this type of work, who we serve as our advisory board, um, and we're also independent of Moody financially. So one of the one of the things that they said to us when we asked if we could pursue this is they said yes, but we do not have this in our budget. And the type of ministry that we do um, is really expensive. It's a high dollar amount per woman, mm-hmm. and so um, you know we went into that knowing that. And Moody said we will give you a one time annual, we'll give you an annual gift every year. Um, consider us a donor um, but it's a small piece of the percentage of what our operating budget is and so that's my responsibility is to raise the money, raise our budget um, through relationships I have with individuals and families and churches and the whole work. The Moody is highly supportive um, a big piece of our story no doubt um, but in a lot of ways we do function independently. Um, And in the Big C Church (laughs) So and, and their role in this issue. Um well I personally believe that God's church um is should be the leader, and then so many times, so many ways, I do see this, um, the church to be the leader in fighting injustice. I feel like um justice is a piece of God's heart and you cannot read scripture, not just a piece, a big piece of God's heart. You just cannot read scripture without seeing his constant, the constant theme of him remembering the marginalized and the widow and the sick and the person that nobody else wants to love or maybe nobody else sees because they're not fancy or flashy or wealthy or whatever it is. Um, Those people are who God continually lifts up that nobody else has seen. And um, I think the church should demonstrate that better than anybody else. And often I see that. I see that I have partnerships with churches all throughout the Chicagoland area who believe that and they back that. Um, and that's exciting to me because I do see the church and so often as the leader fighting against these injustices. Um, and I, I honestly, I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see more churches take up this cause, um, uh, you know, fighting against injustices. Because there's, there's two parts of it, right? There's the part that says we have to end the demand for sex. And if we can end the demand, there won't be a supply of women who are recruited at the age of 13. So that's a big piece of it. Um, but the other side to it, and it's not talked about as much, which is obviously my passion, is what happens to women when they come out of this lifestyle? Um, they, their life has been shattered. I mean, shattered. They've got tattoos all over their body from branding by their traffickers. They haven't had independence of thought or decision in years.
0: Mm-hmm. And they're,
1: so often their bodies were abused as children. So they have grown up thinking that the purpose of their body was made for only a violent sexual encounter. I mean, that is so wrong on so many levels. And so yeah. to give a woman who's experienced that, to set that truth, to set that wrong to be right, to, to free her of the entrapment that she lives in, I mean, that's, to me, that's some of the most beautiful reconciliation that we have, you know, that we possibly see as a church. Um, so I love to engage the church. And what I think is some of the most beautiful reconciliation you know, that God can do in a person's life. I love to invite them into volunteering at Naomi's house, getting to know women um, as mentors and as drivers and life skill coaches, all the things that we do where we depend on volunteers to help us with. Um, I love to invite the church into that and be a part of the lives of the women we serve because they're amazing women. Um I find that churches can be, um, financial partners. I mean, sometimes I feel like a church will say, Hey, you, you're welcome to, to recruit volunteers from our congregation, but we want to show you we're so serious about the work that you're doing that will support you monthly. So I have a couple, uh, churches who are what we call hero partners, people who support us monthly. Um, and then there's churches who really, truly have a heart for justice. And so we will, they'll kind of quote unquote outsource to us. They'll bring us in um, different times throughout the year to speak on justice and to speak on the heart of God, um, speak on testimony that we see of what God can do through reconciliation and restoring justice. Um, So we do a lot of speaking on the issue and um, human trafficking 101 presentations. We do a lot of that as well. Um, So I'm honestly really inspired by the church. I think they're doing a great job. in this area. Um, there's a lot of work to still be done. I mean, we're not nearly far from seeing the end of this issue. And so I'd love the the church to do more, but I also just want to make sure I highlight that I've seen some incredible churches do some great work around this issue.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned like the, the kind of the root cause of this, we need to be able to, um, decrease the demand for sex essentially mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what are what are some of the changes that you see that need to be made to start seeing like systemic change on a mm-hmm. like, global scale these human trafficking numbers continue to rise each year I mean that the numbers mm-hmm. are getting beyond comprehension essentially yeah. and so mm-hmm. like what 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 do you see on a you know, I don't know how much time we have to go into crazy detail on it but just like <laughs> 30,000 foot view. Yeah. How, how do we, how do we start like making changes to yeah. uh, cut into some of this overwhelm, these overwhelming numbers?
1: Yeah. Let me give you my, my top four. Okay. We have time for four, right? Cause there's probably 40, <laughs> but I'll start with my top four. <laughs> um, That's perfect. First, yeah. So first of all, I think we need to do a better job caring for vulnerable people across the board. I don't care where you are on your faith journey. I don't care if you go to church, if you don't go to church. I mean, regardless of whether or not you're a believer or not, I feel like across the board, we need to do a better job caring for vulnerable people. There are people in all of our communities who in some level are suffering. Some do a better job hiding it than others. If you're in a more affluent, wealthy community, maybe you're not seeing it in your face every day, but there are people who exist in your communities that are struggling on some level. And in general, we need to be, we need to be at the type of people. And I, obviously I believe it needs to be led by the church, led by Christians, that we are more, we're, we're less afraid to get messy with people and to get into the, the daily difficulties that people face and help people feel more secure about who they are, um, and uh provide ways for people to live on a more stable stronger foundation that vulnerabilities go down that would be one of the first things i would say and anyone can do that anyone can look around and see someone who is in a vulnerable situation in some capacity and reach out and ask what do you need what can i do to help you how can i walk alongside you in life anyone can do that i think we need to have a real So number two (laughs) is we had to have a real conversation about um, pornography in our country and sexual addictions and the link between the two. Um, There is so much research um, that makes a correlation between pornography and human trafficking and sexually exploiting people. Um, We sat right here and I live in Wheaton, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, and there was a building that was run by a trafficking ring in literally the middle of Wheaton, Illinois, which you would never believe. It's a wholesome, whatever you want to call it, type of community that you would not think there's trafficking happening. And it was a brothel right in Illinois, Wheaton, Illinois. And it took the community to come together to, to basically shut this brothel down, which I always say is a victory. But let me just tell you, they just moved to a jurisdiction. They just left Wheaton. The brothels still right. In. And so they didn't come to Wheaton because they didn't think they would have customers. They came to Wheaton because they knew they would have customers. And so I think we have to have a very serious conversation. It's uncomfortable and it's awkward and nobody wants to talk about their addiction to porn or sex, but it's real and it's just as serious as any other addiction that's out there. And so we need to have Mm -hmm. a, a candid conversation about that. Um, which plays into my number three, which is that <laughs> we have we have a real um, we have a confusing message. Like our culture is confused about sex. So on one hand, we're you you'll hear anybody from you know to church leaders to celebrities saying that uh, nobody should objectify women that nobody stands for that, that women are no longer considered property and, and, and treating them as if they're objects is no longer acceptable. But then we have a whole nother culture of women who, in my opinion, are almost objectifying themselves and yeah. they're making themselves um, become what is looking like objectification. And so it's a confusing message. Um, I've had two daughters, I have four children, two of them are daughters, and it's, it's, it's a fine line, um, when it comes to teaching them how to be, um, beautiful and strong. And, um, you know, one of my daughters is, she's in the fashion and she likes to, you know, try on clothes and that whole thing, but then be able to say like, you are not defined by your looks or your body. Is, um, you know, you are so much more at your character, at your depth. Um, it having those types of conversations with our daughters is so important, especially when the world is telling our young girls that it is your looks, it is your body. Those are the things that are going to make you popular and pretty. And it's just a confusing message. So I, again, Christians, I think, should be the leaders on this. And we should be addressing these confusing and conflicting messaging. And then the last thing I would say that is really, truly going to help um, reduce Human trafficking in our bring down the numbers, and you know, to speak to what you asked, um, is to honestly get behind organizations like Naomi's House, because the more women we serve, and the more women we see successfully complete our program, the less um, the less amount of women we're going to see relapse back into the life. Because if a woman is not getting help, if she's not if she's not given the resources and the opportunity to start a new life and heal from her past, she is just as likely to be, re- to relapse and continue to be vulnerable and lured back into the sex trade. We see it all the time. And so without more organizations like Naomi's House to serve more and more women, um, we're going to see continued relapse and we're going to see those numbers continue to climb. Um, So, of course, I'm a fan of Naomi's house and I would encourage anyone listening um, to look into supporting, whether it's us or somewhere local in your own community, um, but get behind the rehabilitation of women who've been exploited and we'll see those numbers go down.
0: Well, and there's got got to be an element of women who are in the life who have not made the decision that they want out that Mm -hmm. are, if there's more women that are successfully getting out and- Mm -hmm. Seeing a transformation in their yeah. life, that the women that are still in it are going to look and see, hey, there is a way out. Uh, there's got to be an element of, like, I don't want out because I don't really think that there is a way out, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, survivor leadership is what that is what that's called. Is so powerful. Some of the greatest leaders in this in this field are from survivors. Because they have gone through it and now they're on the other side and they are the best speakers, the best advocates. They know mm-hmm. more about the issue. Yeah. So I'm, you're, you're dead on the more women who go through a program and come out on the other side. Um, not every woman wants to be labeled as a trafficking survivor. So I should make that clear. I mean, there are plenty of women who've graduated from the U.S. saying, do not label me. I am I am not just a trafficking survivor. I'm so much more than that. And right. that's true, right? We need to honor that. But there are women who've come through who have this passion to help other women come through. And it is, it's in their makeup to be a leader. And um, their stories are so powerful. And, and God uses that in a big way. Do you have, really you cool. make a great point, yeah.
0: And, and to piggyback and continue on to your you're uh what's number three uh and this is a bit of a transition to a, a question we had talked about offline but um how how do you balance like i'm listening to, to you talk about being a leader of this organization and uh just as a mom how do you balance a family of six four kids a uh Marriage of seventeen years, like what does that look like? Running this organization successfully, and still having time for family, because mm-hmm. I, th- I know that that is um, tends real. to be a, a <laughs> yeah a real challenge yeah. for a lot of ministry leaders, whether you're a mom or a dad.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right. First of all, to hear you say I have a family of six, I have four kids, married for seventeen years, I thought to myself, I sound so old. I don't feel as <laughs> old as that just came out. I don't know. That's just, I have to process that for a second. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, no. And I appreciate that, that question because I think we can get intimidated by, um, you know, how do people do it all or how does it appear that people are doing? I think appearance is is probably the the key word there. Um, and so I, I don't know if this is the perfect answer, but it's, it's, it's my honest answer. And that is, um, I think balance might be the wrong word when, when we're pursuing this question. We're trying to get to the heart of this question. And so for me, I like to say, um, I think it's about boundaries, boundaries over balance. And that starts with my husband and I, um, his name's Anthony. He's amazing. I mean, truly the best person I know on the planet. And we are in, just constant communication about what it is in our family and our marriage that we want to protect. And we we are in constant dialogue about that. And then we put boundaries around what it is that we're trying to protect. So if you think of a boundary, that's a, the, the definition I'm using when I say boundary is what is it that you're trying to protect? And so uh-huh. our marriage first, right? So we protect our marriage um, and we do that in all kinds of practical ways. We have um, you know, date nights and we see a marriage therapist, um, about once a month, maybe every six weeks. Um, uh, we're in a small group with other couples who share the same values that we do. And we're having honest and transparent conversations. So we're, we're real intentional about how we protect our marriage. Um, and then we, we have that same question around our kids. So our, our we have, a, we have four kids who span 10 years. So 13 to three and um, i know that's all our story um but um uh so that looks different for for our family and we ask those questions like what what do we want our kids to say yes to and what do what do we need to protect them from what boundaries do we need to put up and in order for our kids to thrive um and as i mean you can imagine four kids in that span it looks different for every kid and um so that just takes time, I think, again, what I'm trying to point out is that we're just intentional about about how we protect our family. And then the other thing that we've gotten better at, Zach, we're not perfect at, but something that we've gotten better at is protecting ministry. And I guess what I mean by that is um, both my husband and I have a heart for justice. It's definitely something we're both passionate about. So that's a blessing that we share this passion together. Um, which also means we can say yes to a lot of things, um, anything that's you know justice oriented. We would want to be tempted or we'd be tempted to say yes to yes. We want to do this. We want to run this race or we want to um, support this child or we want to, you know, run this organization, whatever it is. And one of the things that we are getting better at as we, I would hope to say mature um, is protecting what it is that we feel like God has called us to. And, I had a pastor right when we started the Miami house years ago say to me, you know, God doesn't give us a heart that bleeds for every issue we hear about, because then we would run out, we would bleed out. We don't, our hearts don't have Mm -hmm. the capacity to care for every injustice to the same degree, which makes sense, right? Which is why you hear some people who are really passionate about um clean water or you hear people who are really passionate about ending human trafficking or, you know, name the injustice. Right. And so we are trying to be uh, mindful to what it is that God has put on our hearts and for even from a husband and I it could be it is different at times, um, that we're passionate about and then we just protect that. And we don't say yes to everything because then we be I think we become ineffective. Um, or we have we can be ineffective. We can we can become, we can burn out, um, bleed out. And so I'd also say we put boundaries around our mission and what do we feel like God has called us to, um, at this time that we can be a hundred percent faithful to. And that means we are saying no to other things, even if it's a worthy cause or something that we love. Um, we have to be wise about what we say yes and what we say no to. So Really I don't good. know if that answers your question, but so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know no, that definitely. balance. Yeah. Sometimes I think that we want balance makes me feel like everything should be equal. And I think mm-hmm. that the way I look at it is you no, know, there mm-hmm. are times where I can have boundaries around all these things that we just talked about and it's it's still feel out of balance. And I think sometimes that's okay. I mean, I think that's part of being a disciple you know, following Mm -hmm. Jesus, wherever he calls you, is It's going to, sometimes it's going to feel out of balance. Like you're going to be tired, right? You're going to, um,
0: yeah, peaks and valleys.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So
0: Hmm.
1: hopefully, hopefully that encourages somebody.
0: That's really good. Well, Simone, I think that's about all the time that we have. This has been really, really awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Can I, uh, can I quickly pray for you in the ministry?
1: Absolutely.
0: Thanks, Zach. Father, I just lift up Simone as she leads Naomi's house. I pray that you would give um, her and her team guidance and direction and clarity um, as they pursue you in this. And uh, you're obviously going before them and um, doing some incredible things that they have just said yes to uh, partnering with you in. And so I just pray that you would make your direction clear um, and uh, that that Simone and her team would just daily... Um, lean on you um, for strength and for um, for that direction and that clarity, Father. Uh, we well, thank you so much for Simone's willingness to say yes to your call, um, yes. fighting for um, fighting against these injustices that are just so heavy, Father. Uh, I pray for her team, her and her team. Yes dealing with uh, all this secondhand trauma, Father, I pray that you would yeah. uh, just help them to deal with those things well, uh, lay them at your feet well. Um, and uh yeah, just thank you so much for their hearts and, and willingness to say yes to the work that you're already doing, Father. We love you. Thank you so much uh, for allowing us to be a part of um, your work. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Mm-hmm. Simone, if someone
0: wants to get a hold of you or learn more about Naomi's house, how can they do so?
1: Sure. Naomi's house.org is our website, Naomi's house.org, or you can shoot an email over to info, I-N-F-O at Naomi's house.org. That comes directly Perfect. to me.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, I will put that in the show notes. And uh, thank you again so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you. pleasure. Pleasure to talk with you today.
0: Have a good day, Simone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story
1: to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their
0: wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, If you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at ReliantCreative.org. See you next time.